We will recommence our series in the letters in Revelation after the Easter holidays. Uh, this evening, I would like us to consider the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 and verse 11, but especially verse 10 in the first letter of Peter and the fifth chapter. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then the letter continues with some closing greetings before the benediction. What we have in these couple of verses is a doxology. What's a doxology? A statement of praise. And Peter was writing to Christians who were suffering. Uh, he mentions in the doxology, after you have suffered a while. And in order to encourage them, he causes them to praise God. That's what a doxology is. We've got some doxologies at the end of our hymn book. Now, haven't we had a difficult year so far? And it's so easy to get bowed down under the different burdens uh, that we've had to endure. And what better place to turn to than this doxology in order to lift our spirits uh, I'm convinced that the need for the evangelical churches is praise. We somehow have lost, haven't we, uh, this jewel uh, in our midst. Toza, worship the missing jewel in evangelical churches. When you feel yourself going down, then the best thing to do is look up and worship our risen saviour. Now, I want us to concentrate here on one theme that Peter is emphasising. Did you notice verse 10? May the God of all grace. That's the focus. Grace. What grace? Undeserving favour. You show grace to people who are your enemies. You deal with them, uh, not according to their deserts, but you lavish upon them free gifts. And what Peter says here is the God we worship is the God of all grace. Now, I haven't got time to look at the different dimensions of that grace, but I've made a note of a few things. To begin with, our salvation is grace from beginning to end. There is not one brick in the building of salvation that isn't of grace. Uh, or you can think of it as grace that's more than enough to meet your needs. Now, we're living in extremely challenging times. And we don't know, once uh, lockdown is over, what the future may hold. 
Um, if you look at the last time there was a pandemic in this country on this scale, the Spanish flu, it led to the roaring 20s. And even though for a while things uh, were on the up, then we know what happened after that, the Second World War. So we are facing huge challenges. But the grace of Jesus Christ is more than much. Now, we tend to think of grace, don't we? as what saves us and that's very very true amazing grace how sweet the sound wrote newton that saved a wretch like me but from this doxology i want us to look at other aspects of god's grace tonight so it's not just saving grace which is amazing but there is more to grace than that so let me just give you a few pointers and then we'll sing a hymn and go to communion the first thing peter tells us here about grace not just saving grace now is that it is electing grace electing grace may the god verse 10 of all grace who called us who called us uh, if you look at chapter one of peter Peter's obsessed about this, right? Chapter 1 of Peter. Verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then chapter 2. Chapter 2. And verse 9. But you, the church he's speaking of, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, electing grace. Now, do you get the eebie-jeebies when you hear the word election? Uh, Calvin got the eebie-jeebies, you know. Calvin is renowned as the one who rediscovered election. And we often uh, portray him as a harsh theologian, but he wasn't. Calvin said, it's an awesome truth, this electing grace of God. It ought to scare us but also at the same time it's a mighty comfort isn't it now what do we mean by that God is sovereign isn't he we believe in the sovereignty of God in terms of salvation we didn't lift a little finger to save ourselves well take that back before time and think of God being sovereign in choosing whom he saves now we tend don't we to get all uh, bothered because we tend to think that God chooses certain people because there's something special about them that's not what Peter is talking about here electing grace may the god of all grace who called you what does that mean when god called us back in eternity before he made the world before he even created you god chose you and me to be his children my brothers and sisters that wasn't because he saw any good in us if you think of the church as a nation uh, a chosen people 
uh, the Old uh, Testament nation of Israel was a picture of the church. God said to them, I did not choose you because you were the greatest of nations. You were the smallest of nations and you were a stiff-necked people. And isn't that true of us? Aren't we by nature a stiff-necked people, even as Christians? How slow we are to obey the word of God. How hard our hearts can be in terms of our love to the Savior. There is nothing in us that calls for God to choose us. But as Robert Murray McShane said, chosen not for good in me. Not for good in me. What's amazing is this, that God should have chosen anybody. Sinclair Ferguson, I rank Sinclair as one of the greatest popular theologians today. He wrote these words. It is staggering to think that these are the words of a Galilean fisherman. That's what Peter was before he was called. Peter has discovered that his Christian experience beginning in a remote seaside town in Galilee and indeed every Christian's experience whether it begins uh, suddenly or gradually, has its ultimate origins before the dawn of time. In the heart, mind, and heavenly love and purpose of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why are you a Christian tonight? You are a believer, not because you made a decision. Why did you choose Christ? You did, I know you did. <laughs> But what made you choose Christ? It was him, back in eternity, choosing you. Uh, one Welsh preacher, can't remember who, used this illustration. He said the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a council in eternity. Think of a committee meeting. And there was one item on the agenda, right? One item on the agenda. The salvation of a people that didn't deserve it. And just as in a committee meeting, names are discussed. In this council of eternity, your name was being discussed. My name was being discussed. And a Galilean fisherman who had no formal education, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit saw that you don't need to have a degree my friend to see that God's grace isn't just saving grace but back in eternity it chose us since I mentioned Peter as a fisherman Peter would have been very uh, familiar with the Sea of Galilee it's it's a very interesting place the Sea of Galilee it's uh, below sea level uh, and it's surrounded by hills, and sometimes you will have cold air coming down off the slopes of Mount Hermon, and it will cause the calm water in the Sea of Galilee suddenly to become stormy. Now, think of the world as a sea. Sometimes life is calm, isn't it? 
And then suddenly, out of the blue, problems come and they all come together. It's like those storms on the Sea of Galilee. Think of your life as a boat. It's a small boat, isn't it? The Church of Jesus Christ in the West at the moment, it's a small boat. (laughs) What chance have we got in the big sea of life? And then when you look at yourself, we're so insignificant, we're so broken. It's a broken, small boat. What hope is there? Uh, And when the storm comes, when the waves are gathering around us, the water is coming in, we feel that we're going to drown. But as we sang, we've got an anchor. An anchor. And the anchor isn't in the boat. The anchor has been thrown out of the boat. And do you know where the anchor is lodged? The anchor is lodged in the bedrock And this is Hebrews as well as Titus. The anchor of our souls isn't lodged in our experience of Christ. Thank God for that. Because our experiences are like that, up and down, like the waves. The anchor of our souls isn't lodged in our conversion. Some people depend on their testimony. Thank God for a testimony. But you don't depend on that. The anchor of our souls isn't lodged in the church. Thank God for that. The anchor of our souls is lodged in eternity, beyond the veil. And so it doesn't matter what life throws at us. We are absolutely secure. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, Can I quote, it was Roy Lee's favourite hymn. (laughs) Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? It might be calm now, but wait till things get rough. When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? Can we say, because we realise that God's grace has chosen us in eternity, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. So that's the first thing, electing grace, electing grace. And then secondly, look at what Peter talks about as well, keeping grace. But may the God of all grace who called us perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. Now, one commentator uh, described these as a flurry of verbs, a forceful flurry of verbs. Action, 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 action. It's not our action, it's God's action. Uh, The preacher John Stott, he described God's grace as a river starting in eternity. So we look back and we see electing grace and then that river flows through time it comes to us and what we're asking now is will that grace keep us in the future have you have you come across some streams uh, there are some in wales in the winter time they are uh, full of water but come the summer they're dry they're dry as dust they're perennial streams you see perennial streams 
And some people can think of the grace of God in that way. Yes, it's electing, it's saving, but then we kind of worry that grace is going to dry up on us. Oh, no, 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 no. The grace which is from everlasting is going to take us to eternity. It doesn't dry out because it's the God of all grace who's the source. It doesn't dry out. We dry out. We burn out. We shrivel. We die. But he that watches over Israel slumbers not, nor sleeps. Now let's look at each of these verbs here to see how God keeps us by his grace. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, look at the first word. In the New King James, it's perfect, perfect. Now that's not the best term. Uh, A better word is restore. This is how God's grace keeps us. It restores us. Think of David describing Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. He restoreth my soul. Now, the word for restore here in the Greek, okay, is the same word as is used in the Gospels to describe the disciples mending their nets. Isn't that interesting? So Peter was a fisherman, and Peter is thinking of God's grace keeping us by mending us. I'm not a fisherman. My hands are gentle, right? A fisherman would have rough, strong hands, (laughs) But I'm amazed at Jesus Christ because he's got strong hands. But hasn't he got gentle hands as well? We make a mess, don't we? Trying to mend ourselves and other people. But if we leave it to Jesus Christ, he is strong and tender at the same time. Can, can you, my Christian friend, can, can you put yourself in his hands? You're in a safe place. It is the Lord. Let him do as seems good in his sight. And then the next word is establish. Establish. What does this mean? This means we stand. So if we think of going through this life with all of its problems... We're not just, um, I don't know, uh, crawling through it, trying to get to our journey's end. What God's grace does, it doesn't just restore our souls, but it enables us to stand on our two feet. Now, that is something, isn't it? When the wind is blowing against us, we are standing. We are standing. I'm reminded of uh, the way Paul puts it uh, in Romans chapter 5. Uh, These are amazing words. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Yes, we are beggars. Yes, there is no good in us. But at the same time, we are children of God, elect. And we stand by the grace of God. We stand. Even when other people who are stronger than us in and of themselves fall, We're standing because it's the grace of God that's causing us to stand. And then the next word. Let me get back to the verse. Restore. Establish. Causing us to stand. And then the next verb. Strengthen. 
strengthen. Have you, have you tried standing uh, on the uh, tube, you know? When, when it starts moving, uh, you've got to hold on to something. Otherwise, you go all over the place, don't you? And this is what Jesus Christ does to us. This is what his grace does to us. He lifts us up. When, when we fall, he raises us. And then he holds on to us. He holds on to us. So think of the boats again. When the seas are tossing us up and down, we're still standing because we're holding on to him. Or should I say he's holding on to us? We may feel at times that we're hanging on by the skin of our teeth, but the grip of God is stronger. Uh, what did we sing? Fear not. Christian, are you afraid? Are you afraid of what the future may hold? Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. I, I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. Those tender, strong hands of Jesus Christ. There's no hands like his hands. And then what? Settle, to settle. That means we're still standing. <laughs> we're still here. The keeping grace. St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, you know these patron saints, they were real believers. Did you realize David was a preacher of the gospel? David experienced revival. Well, Patrick, he, he was a gem of a Christian, and he wrote a prayer. And this is what I'm talking about in terms of the keeping grace of Jesus Christ. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's hosts, that's the angels of heaven, to save me from snares of perils, from temptations, from everyone who will wish me ill, afar and anear, alone and in multitude. Wow. Can you rest in the Lord? Charles Wesley, and I think Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this was the greatest hymn in the English language. Jesus, my all in all, thou art, my rest in toil, my ease in pain. Can you see what Wesley's doing? Whatever he needs, he finds in Jesus Christ. He's resting in the Lord. The medicine of my broken heart, in war my peace, in loss my gain, my smile beneath the tyrant's frown, in shame my glory and my crown. Whatever your negative is, you'll find in Jesus the positive. 
In want, my plentiful supply. In weakness, my almighty power. In bonds, when we're bound, my perfect liberty. My light in Satan's darkest hour. My help and stay whene'er I call. My life in death, my heaven, my all. When you think who wrote this doxology, Peter, when you think of what he was like on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, he felt he'd failed his Lord and Saviour. He felt that it was all over. And then when you realise how Jesus, as we had in John 21, started mending him and started pulling him out of the gutter and put him to stand on his own two feet. And then on the day of Pentecost, how he was filled with the Spirit and how Jesus enabled Peter to go and preach the gospel. Isn't it amazing that the grace of God didn't just choose Peter, a fisherman from Galilee, Can any good thing come out of Galilee? No, but God chose Galileans in eternity, just as he's chosen the likes of you and me. And then he saved him. And then the grace that kept him. So that Peter writing from prison, and he's going to be executed soon, is able to say that grace is still going to keep us. Isn't that enough for you? For me? And then one last point, electing grace, keeping grace, keeping grace, and finally glorifying grace. What's glorification? Glorification is what will happen to us when we die. (laughs) Do you know what death is to the Christian? Those people that we've announced as having passed away recently, there's been a number of them. Do you know what's happened to them? They've been promoted. They've been glorified. Now, look at what Peter says here. Uh, I need to keep an eye on the time. We're COVID aware. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. So we suffer in this world, right? Our little boat rocks in the seas of time. But then, when God's grace takes us through, After a little suffering, we're going to enter our heavenly home. What's it going to be like? Uh, Peter's described Christians in his letter as pilgrims. Pilgrims are people who travel through. Sojourners, another word for nomads, people who travel. They don't have a home. Aliens, we know what that means. And that's what we are in this world. We're not here to settle down in one sense. We we are just passing through. We're aliens, we don't belong here. Now, some are more aliens than others, maybe, but (laughs) we're aliens. And what happens when we get to heaven? Do you know what will happen? We'll be home, we'll be home. Uh, somebody uh, puts this name to their house. If you want to choose a name for a house, this is a good one. I don't know if it's Greek or Latin. Pros Chiron. Is that Greek or Latin? Greek. Greek. Excellent. Pros Chiron. Do you know what that means? For a time. For a short time. Do, do you sometimes watch these um, makeover programs? People talk about their forever home sometimes, don't they? Have you come across that phrase? Their forever home. 
Our forever home isn't in this world. Our home in this world is proskairon for a time. Don't ask me to translate forever home in Greek, right? But our heavenly home is our forever home. Do you know what kind of house you're going to have? I, I remember many years ago, I was um, walking down uh, streets on a housing estate, and they were making uh, over a house. They were making it grand, grand. And I felt a tinge of jealousy. I said to the Lord, Lord, oh, if only that could be mine, you know, that house. And do you know, the Lord communicated to me, I've got something better for you. A mansion? A mansion? Jesus Christ is building a mansion for you and for me in glory. A forever home. <laughs> don't, don't you just ever so slightly look forward to getting home? And then, what, what else will be true when we get to heaven? Oh, Peter, I'm sure, was looking forward to this. There'll be no more suffering... There'll be no more partings. <sighs> Hasn't it been hard this last year not being able to see family and friends properly? <laughs> um, I received some of my Christmas presents last week for the first time. But when we get to heaven, we won't part. There won't be a lockdown. We'll be together forever and ever. No more suffering. We'll have a perfect body. No more arthritic pain. No more chronic conditions that drag us down. No more disease. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tada, have you read some of her books? A quadriplegic. She can't use her limbs in a wheelchair. Uh, she's got to use a pen in her mouth uh, to, to write. Wonderful testimony, wonderful testimony. It's well worth reading her books. She said this, I can't wait to go home. To be this is what she's writing. Some of the words are a bit old-fashioned, but... This is what she said. I can't wait to be clothed in righteousness without a trace of sin. I won't be crippled by distractions, disabled by insincerity, handicapped by a ho-hum half-heartedness. My heart will join with yours and bubble over with effervescent adoration. We will finally be in fellowship Fully with the Father and with the Son. For me, this will be the best part of heaven. I think Peter puts his finger on it uh, by using one word. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory. Glory. How do you describe glory? I don't know. Uh, the word in the original has uh, a weight in the meaning. Uh, the weight of glory, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think it is right to say when it comes to glory, it's best felt than felt. When you've just had a glimpse of glory, you know what it is. 
Maybe you've been in a meeting where there's just been a sense of the glory of God, just a little awareness. Multiply that by infinity and you have heaven. Yes, we will be together. Yes, we'll be home forever and forever. Yes, we'll be in a place where there's no suffering, no partings. But the Lord Jesus is the attention. The Lamb is the glory. That glory, glory. Hallelujah. When all my labours and trials are over and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore. Do you know how that finishes? Will through the ages be glory for me. Glory. Friends will be there. I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet, this is the most important thing, just a smile from my saviour, I know, will through the ages be glory for me. The God of all grace, you're nearly home. I'm nearly home. It's not far to go. Through many dangers, toils and snares, we've already come. That grace which has brought us safe thus far, that grace will lead us home. I want to close by reading from the last chronicle of Narnia, the last battle. The children uh, who have been in Narnia throughout the series are actually going to go to Aslan's country forever and forever because they are in a train accident in this world and they are killed. Every other time, Aslan has sent them back to this world and they're afraid of being sent back again. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be.